leadership team for joining us today. Appreciate it. I ran into Carlos at, uh, this is Carlos, at um, General Council, and it just turned out to be a great opportunity. He said, hey, we're going to be in Beaver County. And I said, well, then, hey, you're going to be at Crestmont. So worked out well. So nice to see you guys. And we are praying for you guys this week as you minister at camp. Seriously. So I'm excited for what God will do there. Well, church, we're in John chapter 8 today. Um, this portion of John, a lot of it is Jesus teaching, uh, or rather I should say dialoguing sometimes with the religious leaders of his day. And really there's so much we could cover in John chapter 8. But in John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus identifies himself by a name that may be familiar to some of us or it may not be familiar to you. Um, but I thought we would take this morning to reflect on the meaning of his name. Often when we go to prayer at Crestmont, if you've been in any of our prayer environments, then you know that we uh, very quickly in prayer move to the place of doing what Jesus told us to do when he taught us to pray, to hallow the name of the Lord, um, to, to treat his name as holy, to proclaim his names. And it's by his names that we know who God is. It's in his names that he reveals his character to us. So in the name that Jesus uses for himself in John 8, the question for me becomes, what does this tell us about Jesus? What does this tell us about his identity? So my main point this morning, if we could put it up there, Lydia, is that there's no need for you or anyone else to stumble in the darkness because Jesus is the light. Amen. There's no need for you or for anyone else to stumble in the darkness because Jesus is the light. Have you ever been in a situation where it got really dark? I'm talking like naturally. And you realize how dependent on light we are to function and to see. One time, it, I, don't, I really don't know how all this stuff works, but I think it was like a transformer blue or something right outside of Aliquippa. And the whole city, I don't know if Hopewell and Center were affected, but for a while, one summer night, the whole city had no lights in it. Life is different, you know? I mean, you don't realize how comfortable you feel because there's lights around, you know, all the time. And it wasn't just like the lights were in our house. Like in the entire city, there was no light for hours and hours and hours. I had an experience with darkness this last week. Um, if you're new to Crestmont, you might not know this, but um, over 10 years ago, a youth development organization started out of Crestmont called Aliquip Impact, and we still serve youth in the community. And recently, we moved all of our programming into an empty uh, Catholic school on Franklin Avenue, the St. Titus School Building. Some of you were there yesterday, actually. And uh, it's a beautiful building, beautiful space, and St. Titus Parish has treated us so well as we've moved into that space which we really appreciate. But we only have access to the third floor. It's a gigantic building, but we only have access to the third floor. The second floor, the church has uh, still uses, so they've closed it off to us. The doors are locked. But then there's a basement hallway that goes under the building. Well, yesterday, I was getting ready for an event. Yesterday, the district um, for our association of churches did a training with us there yesterday. So I was getting ready for the training, and I decided that instead of going up to the third floor to get to the other side of the building, I would just go through this basement hallway. But when I got to the bottom of the steps at the front of the hallway, and this hallway's in the basement, so there's no windows, 
I get there, and I realize I don't know where the light switch is, you know? So I'm looking for the light switch, and I can't find it, but it's not that long of a hallway, you know? So I figure I'm just going through, you know? So I start walking down the hallway, and very quickly I realize that this just wasn't any ordinary hallway, that the church was using this hallway to store all of its flea market items, so now I'm walking in a dark obstacle course in the basement of St. Titus School, all right? And, you know, there was a little bit of light coming in through some doors, and you know how it is. You can almost feel the exact moment when your pupils open up, you know, and all of a sudden you can see more than you could see before. But even in that scenario, you know, even when my eyes did their best to adjust, I still really wasn't able to see. And sure enough, I was halfway down the hallway. I bumped into the first thing. I just took a breath and stopped. I tried to let my eyes adjust. Nothing's happening, you know, anymore at least. And so I walk, I bump into something else. Needless to say, I didn't use the hallway, you know, on the way back, all right? Darkness. We depend on light to be able to see, on to be able to navigate. Well, this theme of darkness and light is found all the way throughout the scriptures. Really, it begins in Genesis, and it's there all the way through. And there's so much I could say about those words, darkness and light, and how the Bible uses those words. But Jesus, in the passage that we're going to read this morning, calls himself the light. And so I want to pay attention to that and ask ourselves, what does this mean for Jesus' identity? So there's so much we could read out of John 8, but today, actually, we're just going to read one verse, John 8, 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, even after your eyes adjust and get used to darkness, there's something that tells us that it's not the full picture of how things should be, Right? Even after we do our best to acclimate to the state of living in darkness, we still know deep down inside that we were made for light, that our bodies were made to respond to light, that we were made in many ways to live in the light. I want to suggest to you this morning that when God created people, he created us in light. And by that, I don't just mean that he created the sun, which he did, and the moon by night, which he did, and gave us those lights to govern the day and the night. But I'm talking about he created us in, an, in a state where we could see. And I don't just mean physically, I mean spiritually, that we could see reality. See, it's deep in God's nature. God doesn't have to be this way, but it's his love that compels him to be this way. God is self-revealing, right? Think about it. God could utterly hide himself from us completely, and we wouldn't know any better. We wouldn't even know what we were missing. But as it turns out, when God created people, he created us to be able to see something of who he was. And, you know, those descriptions in Genesis are that the first people walked with God. They talked with him, that they lived in this place of knowing his character and his goodness. They could see. They weren't walking through a dark hallway, waiting on something to stumble. They were walking in the state of light. And I would suggest to you that when human beings who were made to walk in the light of God, 
see a picture of who God is, something extraordinary happens. They also have light to see who they are. See, it's in God's light that we begin to understand ourselves. And so both of those things were true for the first people. They had a picture of God because they were walking in light, and they had a picture of themselves because they were walking in light. They knew their identity. They knew that they were accepted, provided for. They knew that they were loved by their father. Now, of course, sin is what changed all of this, and you know the story. But the entrance of sin into the creation took humanity from a place of walking in light to a place of walking in darkness. There's many places where you can see this in Scripture, but just two examples. First of all, in Ephesians, Paul says that they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And later on, he says in 2 Corinthians that the God of this age, which is another name for the devil, right? Notice the the little g, the way we translate it in English. It's an illegal rulership that he has. But the God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. This is the state that we were all born into, friends. It's like we were created for light, but we were born into darkness. Created for a place where we could see God and ourselves, but we were born into a dark basement hallway. Ew, right? Born there with places to stumble all around. As a matter of fact, when I think about this, that so many people, that all of us at one point, walked in darkness, I'm not surprised that people stumble. When I told you that story about me walking through the dark hallway that's filled with items that are supposed to go to a flea market, are you surprised at all that I bumped into something? Are you surprised at all that I might trip and I might hurt myself or damage something in the hallway? You wouldn't be surprised at that at all because darkness is the conditions for tragedy to happen in my life, right? And see, this is you've heard me say it before, but this is one of the reasons why I've been around a lot of crazy stories of sin, but all I've ever met are normal people going through crazy stuff. See, I'm not sure there's any usefulness in us getting judgy when people trip in dark hallways, right? See, if I, if I was told you the story that I tripped in the dark and then you got judgy towards me, like, it's just the natural response of being in the condition that I'm in. And friends... There's different varieties of sin. People get messed up in different kinds of ways. But what I see all the time are people who God really loves walking through dark basement hallways and tripping again and again and again. But then the story takes a turn in the scriptures. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah gave this prophecy in chapter 9. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I like that imagery. A land of deep darkness. A whole land where there's not light at all. But part of what the Spirit said through the prophet is that a time would come when light would begin to dawn again. Well, what did he mean? Did he mean what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, that your word is a lamp to my feet? and a light to my path. Well, I think that's part of what he meant, right? The word of God, the scriptures, teach us right from wrong, and 
the first people, that's what they knew. They knew right from wrong before sin confused them and before sin confused us. So I think that's part of it. But I think this whole issue of light has to do with more than just knowing right from wrong. I think it goes deeper than that. As a matter of fact, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, one day he's ministering in the synagogue, and he actually pulls out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah. And among the things that he reads from that passage, he says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. So now we learn something else about light. It's not just that we need a lamp for our feet. It's that we're actually blind, which is part of the problem. It's not just that we need enlightened with morality. It's that we need changed deep down inside. It doesn't matter how much light there is in a room if my eyes and brain can't process it, right? So there's a healing of the spiritual nerves that has to happen so that someone can begin to process light. And then Jesus makes this astounding claim in the scripture that we just read in John 8, 12, not just that he's come to bring light to teach God's word, not just that he's come to heal the blind, but this, that he himself is the light. What does that mean for Jesus to be the light? Well, we know this from other portions of scripture that in Jesus, what we have is an exact representation of God himself right? It's in Jesus that we see God because he's 100% man, 100% God. It's in Jesus that we have by far the clearest revelation of who God is because he was God in the flesh and he walked among us. So to look at Jesus is to look at God. To look at Jesus is to know God. Now, Let's follow that to its conclusion. And we've talked about these kinds of things on Sunday mornings before, but it's good for us to remind ourselves in a time of worship like this. Let's ask ourselves, okay, how is it that we see who God is in Jesus? Where do we see the image of God in Jesus? Where do we understand what God is like, what his heart is like in Jesus? Is it in his teachings, in his extraordinary wisdom? Yes, but that's not even the full picture. Is it in his healings? Yeah, we learn something of God's compassion there. But that's not the full picture. Is it in his deliverances, sending away spirits, sometimes in large groups all at once? Yeah, we learn something of God's power there. All of those things tell us something about what God is like. But Jesus actually later in chapter 8 lets us know really what he's talking about in verse 27 when he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, lifted him up on what? A cross. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. It's, an, it's a true statement that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. But here's an even more accurate statement. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus hanging on a cross. Now, think, think about that for a second. Look at Jesus hanging on a cross. Do you realize, if you are going to make up your own religion, let me give you a tip in making up your own religion. You learned it here at Crestmont, all right? If you're going to make up your own religion, here is what you do not do. You do not put the blaspheming 
and degradation of your own God at the center of your faith. Oh, hey. (laughs) Anthony's ready today. (laughs) You don't put that at the center of your faith. See, all over the world, what do religions do? What do people do to their gods? They only exalt them, right? Because in the exaltation of the gods that people groups create, we feel more secure about ourselves. It is an incredibly vulnerable feeling to put at the very center of our faith the vulnerability of our own God. You see how mind-blowing it is. What does that tell us about God? Listen, do you hear what I'm saying? We see the cross as this beautiful, holy picture of God's love, and it is. But let's also be clear, it's a blasphemy to hang Jesus on a cross. But he let it happen. Why? Is it that God loves us so much that he is willing to put his own vulnerability on the line to show us his love and to save us? Isn't that incredible? At the beginning of John's gospel, he says, we have beheld his glory. What's he talking about? He's not just talking about the transfiguration. He's not just talking about the miracles. He's saying, when it came time to see the glory of God, to get the clearest picture ever of who God is, and listen, deep in the human soul, we want to know who God is, amen? Deep down in the human soul, we want to know. We were created for that. And isn't it amazing that where the scriptures send us is to a cross where our own God suffers out of love for us. Isn't that incredible? That's what our God is like. So Jesus says, I am light. Jesus is saying, my life is going to shine a light clearer than any light ever before on who God is. And we're going to see that clearest is at the cross. Now, just real quick, two applications. Um, I wanted to say this. My mom, when I was growing up, she would, and my dad, they would often find me uh, reading in dark rooms. My kids do this now. What is up with that? You know, it's like, so now I say to my kids what my parents always said to me when they walked into the room. Turn a light on, you know? Turn a light on so that you can see, right? Turn a light on so that So it's clear. Well, my two applications have to do with turning the light on, all right? First of all, this, that it is not necessary for me or for you to stumble in darkness when Jesus is the light. We don't have to live our lives in that dark hallway when Jesus is the light because his word is a lamp to our feet He's anointed to bring sight to our eyes, and he himself is the light that points to the Father. And I'm telling you, if you're in this room and you're trying to figure out, like, what is my purpose? What is my destiny in life? The best thing you can do is to get the clearest picture of God as possible, right? Amen. Hey, when he does that, you just might be like, amen. (laughs) All right? That's 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 how we understand who we are. All right, is you look at God. You know, our culture tells us, no, what you need to do is look deeper inside yourself. You know, what you need to do is just dig deeper in here. I start digging deep in here and I get depressed. You know what I'm saying? But when I look at God, I understand I was created for a purpose. There's, a, there's an anointing on my life. There's a place that God is taking me. 
that my life is wrapped up into God's plan. It gives incredible meaning to our suffering to look at God and understand who he is so that we can understand who we are. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in Ephesians, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Um, my daughter, Isla, she's a month old. She pretty much sleeps and poops and sleeps and poops and eats. I knew there was one more. Sleeps and poops and eats. <laughs> and, you know, when she wakes up, one of my favorite things to see is to see her wake up after a long nap. You know, she does that cute little infant stretch. You know, so you know I'm talking about that. And she's really grunty. She grunts a lot. And so she just grunts and she stretches. And you can tell there's a discomfort in waking up, isn't there? When you've been sleeping for a long time in the dark, the light does what first to your eyes? Hurts. See, there's a discomfort in waking up, but all, if we had good parents in this room, our parents came in in our high school years and said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, the bus is pulling up in front of the house, right? <laughs> right? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And this is the call of God to us. Stop walking in darkness when the light of Christ is shining. Wake up, push through the pain. Wake up, push through the discomfort. And before we know it, our eyes have readjusted, our lives have readjusted to the reality of God's identity and our identity. And it changes the way that we live. And if that feels impossible to you this morning, if you feel like that you are stuck in some kind of dark hallway, well, I just want to hold out to you the promise of John chapter 1 in this passage when John lays out his thesis for the whole book. He identifies Jesus as the light there. And here's what he says. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And friends, I'm telling you, there's no kind of dark place that you have found yourself trapped in that the light of Jesus can't overcome. Darkness can't hide in the presence of light. Light wins every time. You turn the lights on in that hallway, and the lights are on, right? It's not dark anymore. There's no dark place. That's a lie of the enemy, to say that there are dark places in our lives that the light switch coming on can't handle. But I'm telling you, there is no dark place, no place of our stumbling, no place of our fear, no place of our loneliness, where the light of Jesus, when it comes in, doesn't deal a decisive blow to that darkness to bring us into the light. Amen? Amen. Second application. We are the light. Matthew 5, 14. This is amazing. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, I thought that was Jesus' name. But now he shares it with us. I am the light, and as it turns out, we are the light as well. You know, in religions all around the world, and it was certainly the case in the pagan religions of Jesus' time, light, the state of being enlightened, was something that belonged to the religious elite. Right? You get light if you are more spiritual than the average person. 
You get light if the religion says you can have more light, right? You get more light if the leaders of the religion say that you are enlightened. The light is something that belongs only to a few and that the normal masses try to aspire to but never really get to. Well, friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. Be very clear. This is why the message of the gospel must never be reduced to some cheap religion. Because what cheap religions do is they exclude the masses to preserve the power of a few. I'm saying something true. Exclude the masses to preserve the power of the few. But here's what we see about our God, is that what he has, he doesn't have to do it, it's his position as God, but who he is, he gives away what he has. Pentecost is a big power-sharing event, right? God doesn't hoard all of his power. He just pours it out onto the church. And what does Peter say? This promise is for whoever, right, comes. It's not just the inheritance of a particular few. It's for whoever. Well, it's the same with light. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm the light, but I'm sharing with you the light, and now you are the light. And what that means is then not only do we not have to stumble in the darkness, but nobody has to stumble in the darkness because the prophecy in Isaiah is coming true in our time. A light has dawned. On the, on the land sitting in darkness, a light is coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And so what that means for me as a religious leader, right, is that I never want to turn what God has entrusted to me into something where only a few people get light. Right? I never want to turn it where only a few, where there's a class of people, ordained people, the leadership team, whoever, where only a few of us get light. While everybody else has to stumble through the dark hallway and we'll guide you through because we have the light, but you still have to stumble in blindness. That's not the gospel. That's cheap religion. Amen? And that's not what we believe in. Light is shining, and it can't be contained. Have you ever? It's hard to contain light. <laughs> you know? it can't, it's always going to seep through somehow. And so that makes me think, where are the places where even inadvertently, I, I live in ways that block the light from reaching other people? Religion will try to block the light. It claims to give it, but it actually does the opposite. It will block it from people. Or this, this is like very practical. But I think about how sometimes I start talking in a narrative of fear in my life. You know, what comes out of my mouth oftentimes with people is the processing of my anxiety with them. And sometimes it's not just with people in the church, but it's people outside the church too. And I'm talking about what I'm worried about and what I'm concerned about and all of that. And all I'm talking about is fear and worry and fear and worry and fear and worry. Friends, when I'm living that way, it does not shine light on the identity of the God that we've spent this morning worshiping. It does not shine light on who God actually is. See, one of the reasons that Jesus going to the cross revealed who the Father was, see, it looked like weakness, but Scripture says that the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men, right? And so it looked like weakness, but even there, when humanity and Satan gave all that they had against the plans and the purposes of God, even there, God prevailed. And he just kind of prevailed by loving. 
You want to know how strong God is. That's, see, someone who has to fight and kick and scream, that, that person is that person's trying to be strong. God didn't have to try to be. He just loved, right? And overcame in love. So I don't, I don't want my life to be a narrative of fear for other people. Or this, just as I close. I think that in an age where the light of God is shining on the earth, and that's the age in which we live right now, in an age in which Jesus has brought the light, I think, friends, something ought to twist up inside of us in pain when we find out that there are still people stumbling through dark hallways when there's light nearby, right? That ought to twist us up inside. It's like, and listen, light isn't just for a few, it's for everyone. And so that for me means that I shouldn't get more light just because I live in North America, right? I shouldn't get more light just because whatever category you want to add to it, because I was born into a Christian home. I shouldn't get more light just because, you know, I'm wealthy. Or because I'm not, by the way, but you, you know what I'm saying. I'm... <laughs> I shouldn't get more light because of any of those categories. And the reality is that around the world today, there are people who have less access to light because of choices that had nothing to do with them, just because of where they were born, because of the circumstances that they were put into. And I think, church, that in these days, there ought to be something that rises up in us that says no more people stumbling through the darkness. No more people you know, tripping over things in the hallway when all that has to happen is those light switch gets turned on. Jesus is the light, but we are the light too. And when he cooperates with us and shines his light through us, the nations see his glory. Amen? Amen. If you'd stand to your feet. I believe that Steve is out of town uh, this weekend, but I believe that he did ask for some prayer ministers to be available. And so if that's you, I'd like to ask you to come forward. And if you could just stand here at the front and be available for people, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. All right, just for a moment, as we close here, and we're gonna transition, I'll have you out of here. But can we just close our eyes for one second? I just want to declare this over you, that Jesus is light. Jesus is light. He created you. I mean, in so many ways, more ways than we even realize. Like spiritually, he created us this way, but I think even physically, he created us, our brains and our bodies, to be able to see who God is. And we don't get a clearer picture than when we see Jesus. So very simply, you know, when we have people up here at the front praying, all we're saying is that we don't believe that Jesus is just a concept to be talked about, but that he's a person to be encountered. And that's why pretty much every service moving forward, you're going to be seeing this. We're going to give opportunities for you to come forward and to receive prayer because often we encounter Jesus when we allow other people to minister his presence to us. And I know that can feel like a risk, and we don't want to embarrass anybody. But on the other hand, if, if I'm preaching this morning, or for you it's like, 
wow, I'm stumbling through a dark hallway. I don't have clarity on right and wrong. Or I don't have clarity on my identity. Or I'm not sure I can see God right now because of my pain or my sense of despair and hopelessness, whatever. What we want to do is pray light today. Now, you might ask, well, how do you have the authority to do that? Well, it's because of that verse I just showed you. Jesus said, we are the light. So we have the authority to pray light and to seek light, to pray that the lights get turned on in Jesus so that we can get a revelation of who God is and then a revelation of who we are in his presence.